Good day and welcome to Overdrive, a program that looks at the purpose of and the passion for trains, planes and automobiles. I'm David Brown and in this program I had the privilege of attending the Unlimited 5.0 launch. That's the latest solar racer from the Western Sydney University's solar racing team. The level of professionalism in this group of young adults was outstanding. We rode test a couple of Toyotas, the Corolla Cross and the Kluger Large SUV, and Dean of Fred and I chat about some car shows we've been to in the last week. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or go to our social media sites, Facebook, Instagram and YouTube, and search for Cars Transport Culture. This program was originally broadcast on this program was originally broadcast on the 12th of August 2023. October this year will see the next running of the World Solar Challenge. First run in 1987 and held every two years, unless disrupted by pandemics, it brings together teams from leading international universities and technical institutes together with private entrepreneurs who come down under to test and promote the ultimate interaction of nature, motion and innovation. I had the privilege last week of attending the Unlimited 5.0 launch, the latest solar racer from the Western Sydney University solar racing team. The level of professionalism in this group of young adults was outstanding. If you ever have any doubts that helping your primary school children with school projects, such as a paper mache model of a volcano, might lead to something greater, you need only look at projects for this international event. All teams have to use six square metres of solar panels, so the competitive advantages are to be found in other areas of the vehicle. At the launch, Divyam Shah, a mechanical engineering student who was the systems and interface lead for the team, gave an overview of some of the main features of the Unlimited 5.0. Here are a few of the things he said. To fully understand TAD5, I want to share what we collectively set to be our engineering trade-offs. In order, they are safety, then reliability, and then performance. So let's look at what the car is. This is a single-seater, three-wheeled vehicle. It has two front-steered wheels and a single rear-driven wheel. For those of you who know your solar cars, it's of the monohull or bullet type. That is, all of the car's innards are contained in one aerodynamic teardrop-shaped hull. Like a road car, it has 100 millimeters of ground clearance, great approach and departure angles, UNECE-compliant lighting, including headlights, an amazing turning circle, and a rear number plate, along with a rather spacious seat. But unlike a normal car, it's made almost entirely from either carbon fiber or space-grade aluminum. It has a racing harness, a highly efficient bespoke electrical and telemetry system. It is super aerodynamic and very, very light. And of course, it has four square meters of some of the best silicon solar cells on its array. We are really proud to have designed and built this car, and we think it'll be a force to be reckoned with at the 2023 event. Our electrical team consists of Micah, Preston, Ethan, and Birdie, and is led by seasoned solar car engineer, Peter Mitchell. They've put together an electrical system to most efficiently utilize the power from the solar panels to drive the car the quickest it can from 
Darwin to Adelaide and WWRC. The system utilizes a lithium iron phosphate or LFP battery pack to store the generated energy. They have designed a BMS, a dash, CAN system, telemetry system, and lighting hub. These are all systems with bespoke hardware and software all done in-house to be as efficient and well integrated as possible. And one of the coolest parts of this car is the fully wireless steering wheel that will house all of the controls for throttle, lighting, horn, and more. This will give us one of the quickest quick release systems in, um, in the competition with no wires attached. Our electronics, along with literally everything else on the vehicle, gets mounted to our structure system. This consists of a single piece composite chassis, a rear flat panel substructure, and lifting spars. The system is responsible for all of the suspension loads, auxiliary system loads, aerodynamic forces, and most importantly, crash impact loads. It is designed to take a 5G front impact, side impact, and rollover impact. And it is immensely strong. Although we pray to never see its impact strength put to the test, we have done all the steps possible to make sure that the driver is as safe as possible. The design and layout for the chassis is the brainchild of our chassis lead, Peter Duke. Nina Walters and Daniel Pierce, along with assistance from the whole team, saw the manufacturing of this chassis. Here lies something that we are very proud of. Our driver cell has gone from computer to reality, all completely in-house at the WSU Kingswood campus. Massive MDF billets machined into tooling on our own, very own five-axis Bellotti CNC that you can see here. Thank you again to Raju and Vince. Then it gets made into fiberglass molds, which are then laid with prepreg carbon fiber and is cured into what is now in the vehicle. And I think the results really do speak for themselves. What connects the structures to the road is our suspension. It is designed to stabilize the car over rough roads, allow for stable and smooth cornering, and minimize rolling resistance. The front suspension, brakes, and steering systems were engineered by Andrew, Brandon, and Michael, respectively. The fronts have a double wishbone configuration and use a bespoke bill-stained shock. There is a focus on reliability and serviceability in this system. Little things like reinforcing highway contacts, having easy bolt and tool access, putting connections in double shear, and carefully setting our factors of safety will increase our maintenance and repair intervals, ultimately giving us an edge over the competition. The rear suspension is engineered by Alex and Tyler and consists of a single-sided swing arm. Off of this mounts our rotating assembly and our motor. We use an awesomely efficient Mirand AC synchronous motor, wrapped in a custom housing that allows for adjustment, tuning, and cooling like we've never had before. This means that although we're going to be efficient, we are going to be ready to set the Hidden Valley racetrack alight during qualifying later this year. And wrapping all of the components in one and being the only thing you can really see right now um, from the audience is our aerobody. This is one of the most critical areas of the car's performance, given how much wind resistance contributes to the overall power loss of the car. This season, Aaron Sharman and Rui Chang were faced with a very unique set of challenges set by the regulations. Three-wheeled vehicles were allowed. However, the cars need to be more stable than ever before. The driver needs to have more space and better visibility. The car needs to be higher off the ground, and we need an exposed rear number plate. This called for some very complex stability considerations based around packaging and getting the weight of the car as low as possible. Placing the suspension, drivers, batteries, and solar panels in the exact position they need to be define the extremities of our aerobody. Rapid upskilling and consultations by aerodynamic professionals led to countless design and virtual wind tunnel iterations, which led to the aerobody that you see before you today. 
We've achieved our target frontal areas and drag coefficients and designed it to be as stable as possible under the harsh winds of the Australian outback. And the last technical undertaking is not really one you can see with your eyes today, but it's our race strategy system. A competitive car can't win without a competitive race strategy. We need to know how fast we need to go and when. We need to know who to overtake and when to fall back on this multi-day race on the open highway. This is based on the car's state, the weather conditions, the road conditions, and estimations of the future race days. Jonathan and Andrew have been developing a machine learning based strategy system aided by the technical expertise of our partner AWS. They have been working tirelessly and refining their model at every car testing session we do, and it will continue to improve as we put TED5 through its paces over the next month and a half. All put together, TED5 is one of the team's most thorough and tightly integrated cars yet. It has taken on board all of the learnings from the team's incredibly formative last 10 years. It's built on what we already do well and overhauled where we need it to. It is light, it is aerodynamic, and it is safe. And it is being run by an epically cohesive and experienced team. I am really excited for us to take this car into the outback and for our competitors to shake in fear at what we've created. To finish it all off, I want to strongly encourage everyone here to come take a good look at the car later and to all of the amazing displays out there. To talk to the team who made it all happen. Ask them your burning questions. And to the industry here today, I believe that these students are going to be some of the best engineering hires in Western Sydney very, very soon. Just putting it out there. Thank you so much for listening and for being here today. And enjoy the rest of the event. On the subject of machine learning, I spoke to Jonathan Allen, one of the students that was a driving force in this area, and he spoke of how he had a lot of data relating to the performance of the vehicle, but it had come from the GPS system on the team support vehicle, not the racer. Past racers didn't have a GPS in order to save weight. So he did a huge amount of work then to test the veracity of the data. The political and media world is full of examples of taking one bit of data at face value without giving enough attention as to how it was collected and what does it really mean. These young students are not going to be caught out by garbage in, garbage out. And finally, the breadth and diversity of the project was shown for me in the Welcome to Country by Jess Ohm. She reflected on both the value of her ancient culture and our modern environment that created understanding and opportunities. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Jess, and I'm a current law student here at Western Sydney University. And I'm a very proud Ngunnawal woman. I'm a Wedgetail Eagle woman from Yass with links to Edgerton Station. Today, we're here to celebrate the achievements of this university and the achievements of our solar car team. I'd like to say that Western Sydney is a very supportive space and I'm 100% proud to say that I'm a part of this community. One of the significant features of our First Nation brother and sisters was their awareness of the environment around them through which they travelled. Their navigation was by song lines. The modern way is to rush around without awareness of the impact we are having. Jess finished her welcome with a simple thought. Please walk gently through this country, take time to listen to it, and act on what it's telling you. Didgeridoo Yanlu. Thank you and goodbye. You're listening to Overdrive. Been road testing a few vehicles recently, and along with my good friend Alan Zervis from GayCarboys.com. Good day, Alan. 
David, how are you? I'm, I'm well. Now, Corolla, that name is being used not just for a passenger sedan, but also for what is called a cross vehicle. What is a cross vehicle, apart from one that's angry? I, <laughs> well, I think what they're trying to do is, is shamelessly cash in on the Corolla name for the hatch and sedan, and they now apply it to a similarly sized SUV. It's certainly not trying to be an SUV in an off-road capability. It's that morphed version of SUV that is a bit taller, but not really that much different from a sedan. Our particular version was that hybrid system that we know from Toyota that's now used in RAV4. So it's got the electric rear motor, uh, as well as an electric motor and a petrol motor in the front. We've had the upmarket version, didn't we? What's that called? It's called the Atmos, and I really cannot understand why it would be, you know, you know, the Deluxe or the the Adventurer or something, but Atmos, what does that mean? Is it trying to tie into an environmental issue, atmosphere, or? Well, why didn't they call it atmosphere? I think they just didn't want to make a very long badge. So as a vehicle, do you feel it as a, an SUV or is it the, the comfort of a sedan but with a bit more headroom? Well, I just feel that there are times when there's more of a marketing exercise going on. Finally, I've driven the Kluger just recently. You drove one a few years ago. The Kluger is one of the two major players in the Toyota large SUV class. The mm. Prado is the genuine off-roader. The Kluger is the family vehicle. started out as two-wheel drive, but now with hybrid, it does have an all-wheel drive system. We had the hybrid 2.5-litre four-cylinder. There is also just a standard V6, but they do come with a CVT gearbox, as we've talked about. Do you know what I really like? Very family-oriented. It's got a little parcel shelves, which have enough of a lip, quite a significant lip, that hold things in there. Simple approach, but it's just so much more functional. And not only does it have a lip, but it's got a little non-slip surface inside, a bit of sort of textured rubber, which um, stops your phone or whatever, whatever you put in there from sliding. It is a very good car, and I think it sells well, for good reason. Alan, lovely to talk to you. Uh, I always uh, come at the last minute and uh, demand your time, and you know how much I appreciate it. Thanks very much. I do, and thanks for having me, David. You're listening to Overdrive. Audi has just launched a new variant for their Q5 medium-sized SUV. It is a plug-in hybrid. It can reduce pollution in urban areas by being able to travel 55 kilometres on EV mode from a fully charged battery and remains flexible with its 2-litre turbo four-cylinder petrol engine. The combination of internal combustion engine and electric motor also gives good performance, a feature that Audi is keen to promote. Power is delivered through a 7-speed S-Tronic gearbox to an all-wheel drive system. There are two models, a traditional SUV shape or a sports back body style, a fastback look. The battery can only be charged through an AC power source, so the quickest possible time is still two and a half hours. 
Before on-road costs, the SUV is priced at $102,900 and the Sportsback at $110,200. You're listening to Overdrive. The new Audi Q5 plug-in electric hybrid makes some interesting use of integrated technology. For efficiency, it uses predictive route data from the navigation database and distance to the vehicle ahead, so when you take your foot off the accelerator, it chooses whether the car coasts or slows down with recuperative braking. And when the driver is not using the adaptive cruise control, they receive hints indicating the right time to take their foot off the accelerator. These take the form of a haptic impulse, something that you feel through the accelerator. Also, the standard SUV has roof rails that can detect any weight you might be carrying and alerts and adjusts the electronic stability control because heavy loads can alter the vehicle centre of gravity. And finally, if you are using the navigation facility, it can plan for you to arrive at your destination only using electric power, thus making no engine noise and no local pollution. You're listening to Overdrive. We've been to a couple of car shows recently. They're on all over the place, and they're a lovely, eclectic collection of vehicles, some with a specific brand. We've been to the old Holden Day, as Dean has been to a particular Holden Day in another part of the city. Dean and Fred joined us on the line to give us their expert opinions. Gentlemen, good day. Hello. Hey, Fred, we were out at St Ives and we saw this glorious sports car, red on the side, black bonnet. What was it? A Rambler Matador. That's pretty rare. Yeah, I've never seen one in Australia before. Um, the, the Matadors were a four-door sedan typically, but they did do a two-door, which they did actually race in NASCAR oh. in America in the mid-70s. Now, Dean, I think the back of that has a little bit of a, a Nissan 240Z about it. It certainly is a bit of a mishmash. I'm really having to open brain cells that haven't been used for quite a bit of time when it comes to ramblers. But look, is it not the Hornet? No, no, it's bigger than a Hornet. The Hornet was a four-door sedan that was kind of typically about the size of the Holden Holden Falcon type size, whereas the Matador was a bigger it was like a Fairlane-sized car. There's the remains of a, of a uh, Rambler Matador not too far from where I live. And uh, <laughs> it, it's sort of, it's quite a, it's a bit of a local landmark, I think. But, uh, and I do remember it because, yeah, I, I always had a, a passing interest. Right. <laughs> oh, that's the first word that comes to mind, but maybe that's not appropriate. I remember the Matadors only because they were, they were, uh, at one time they were even a failed New South Wales police car. Yeah, I was going to say that. I thought they were police cars at some stage, yeah. Now, in Australia, weren't they, weren't, they were put together by AMC, wasn't it? The Yeah. The, my grandparents had a Rambler American. Oh, yeah. The 64 model may have been built in Australia. But it was about the size of a, uh, say, a, a, an E.H. Holden back in that era. It was the smaller version of a... Yeah, whereas the, the Matador was, was larger, yeah. Yes, certainly. yeah, it was the bigger one. I'm looking at here, I'm th- the first thing that comes to my mind is, is, is the Hornet. No, no, it's, it's not. It's a distinctly different one. It was actually quite a good-looking four-door sedan, but it was, it was smaller. It was more compact than um, the Matador. This one here really is quite curious, isn't it? It's uh, 
are quite strangely un-American styling. And, uh, you know, they've been looking at some Japanese car magazines, I think. The round lights at the front are very much a sort of style that's coming into small Japanese and Chinese electric vehicles. Yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah. That guy who bought two cars, two of his own personal cars, one was a 260Z Nissan sports car, long, sleek, orange. The other one was he had bought with great pride just recently was a 1970 RT40 Corona, bullnose Corona, and, and he loved them both equally. I think that's he would make a good parent, wouldn't he? <laughs> It's a lovely comparison, David, yes. It's a shovel-nosed corona, to be specific. <laughs> uh, sorry, yes, yeah. <laughs> I think the bull-nose came after the shovel-nose. Shovel-nose, that was the word, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he wasn't an old fellow either, was he? He was probably in his 30s. No, I tried the line of saying, you know, did it uh, coincide with, you know, when you were young and going through puberty, which is often the case, but no, he hadn't been born yeah, yeah. when these vehicles were coming onto the market. <laughs> but his wife seemed tolerant, but somewhat accepting, but only tolerant. <laughs> Fred, we did go along to the All Holden Day. Yes. This was out at Richmond, and it was a very big event, and it supported charity. The Bush Fire Brigade was one of them, I think it did. And it wasn't just cars. There was a swap meet there. Fred, you're, you're one who rumbles through these sorts of things. Oh, yeah. Are they appealing to you? Oh, I love a good swap meet, looking for car bits. <laughs> did you buy any? I bought a couple of carburetors and a uh, spare pedal box. There's an interesting word in, in that, spare. That's just in case. Now, Fred, I think that shows an affliction. <laughs> well, possibly, but you never know when you'll need it. And, <laughs> and, and being old pieces of junk, I mean, you never know when the other one's going to fail and you'll need to put this other one that may or may not be in better condition that was an interesting array of things there. It was these photographs of the ground where you were. I mean, it kind of looks like the aftermath of a cyclone, doesn't it? <laughs> Smashed cars and bits of broken equipment lying scattered everywhere. We're looking at an FB Holden with an element of surface rust. Well, it's not an element. I mean, it's basically, basically covering the whole vehicle. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I asked the bloke, you know, um, do you trade in these? He said, no, I'm just sort of clearing out my garage. And you say, oh, okay, how big is that? And he had a picture of what's that, four to 12, 13, 14 cars of pictures uh, that he's clearing out his garage with. Yeah, yeah he said he'd acquired various cars and but got to the point where he figured he couldn't, couldn't do them all up or restore them all, so he needed to uh, move some along. I thought the early six-cylinder Tiranas absolutely dominated in many ways. Now, of course, they had the Holden dealer team. Dean, isn't that a lovely paint job for the Brock Bond Holden dealer teams, which just emphasises the line of the vehicle, which in a way is rather quirky, but I don't know, that just makes it look stunning to my mind. You're absolutely right, David. The distinctive colour scheme, the 
the way the paint uh, on the colour scheme follows the shape of the car, it emphasises the uh, distinctive shape of the uh, much-loved Savannah, which, don't forget, came from a Vauxhall Viva, I think. <laughs> and uh, so there you go. But it, it stands out. You can see it a mile away. And in those yeah. in the days when it competed, it was competing against Falcon Falcons and Chargers. Now, there's three distinctly different cars, uh, and the paint schemes of each of them that reflected that. What have we got today? We've got anonymous, boring cars that are just triumphs of graphic design. <laughs> Maybe I'm just old, but I do love these cars of the, of the 70s. Fred, there's a pinstripe just under that you know, more wider sort of uh, GT stripe down the side, but it's more than that. It follows the line beautifully. But there's a pinstripe there. Now, this is something that the last, before the HQ, of the the H, what was it, H Monaro, you had the... Yeah, HK, HT, HG. Now, the G, and you, we saw there a beautiful yellow one that had that pinstripe down the side, which I just thought really hit the nail on the head. Yeah, they referred to it at the time as a sidewinder s- stripe. Which I suppose you think, oh, okay, yeah, because hmm. it, it follows the side, just winds along the side of the vehicle. Because the first ones had big, thick stripes to it, I and mean, we're we're looking back at a six-cylinder Tirana with a thin stripe on it. I don't think that was a standard. But look, there's a there's a pinstripe down the side of that. They did come with that stripe down the uh, bonnet too. There's a slight problem with that. If you'll notice when it finishes on the bonnet and goes on to the front part of the fascia, it doesn't seem to fit perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) Dean, not one of your favourite artists, Ben Quilty, but he has a love affair with these Tiranas. He has painted them in a very abstract way but nonetheless you look closely and you can see that that element of the sloping back and that as an artist uh do you think that i can reflect a style not on whether it was baroque or or rococo or any of that but maybe on what sort of car the artist chooses to highlight well, it's very much a, a car of the times, and uh, I guess an artist is going to paint uh, his reflected image in, uh, in in those cars and uh, his personal experiences with them. And there's no doubt about it. Ben Quilty had um, he had a love affair with with those cars of that time, and um, I guess he got up to a bit of mischief, as did most young blokes, <laughs> in large, expressive oil paintings, which. Uh, which uh, I I enjoy them. They're, they're lovely. They're, I mean, they're not they're not um, accurate drawings of uh, of cars, and uh, but they don't need to be. They're they're accurate recordings of of his thoughts, his feelings, the uh, the stuff they got up to. Uh, the paints applied thickly, and as you would expect, a picture of a of a hotted up Tirana to uh, to be the the paint is put on directly, thickly, and and left there. And that's great. That does reflect the sort of rawness of the times. Now we look at these cars that are beautifully restored, possibly restored better than they were ever built in a way, that the the, the style, which is a bit of Ando in a way sort of, isn't it? Ando of uh, putting on with a spatula with large, thick parts of paint and that all over there, that uh, it gives you almost a mystical look at a, a subject 
rather than just a, an accurate reflection. Maybe Ando's uh, series could well have, he could have interviewed people about their cars and then painted the cars. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just thinking too, of course, Ben Quilty went on his next series of work after the, the Hotted Up Tiranas was a series of uh, white tradies bands. The, oh, did he? The ubiquitous white Hilux uh, high ace yeah. band. And oh. the band had angry, almost demonic faces on them. And, <laughs> and anyone who's come into contact with a tradie heading to work at uh, nine o'clock on a, on a Monday morning or going home at three o'clock on a Friday afternoon, and you've seen that, that white uh, that white van uh, bearing down on you. Yes, you, you can you can see that demonic face on the uh, on the vehicle, and uh, he really caught that beautifully. Yeah. Actually, Evan is often referring to the perilous situation of driving in the Trady Grand Prix. <laughs> yeah, an early morning to get there, but also an early afternoon to get away. Yeah. Get away. yeah. Gentlemen, thank you for your time. Okay, thanks. Thank you, David. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to the team of students from Western Sydney University, Solar Racing Team, Dean Oliver, Fred Brain, Alan Zervis, and Mark Wesley for their help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or link to our socials and podcasts. Search for Cars Transport Culture. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. Listening.